services. We've been following our vision that we have as a church. You'll see it on various uh, banners that we have, always on our notice sheet as well. And we've been looking at the kingdom, building God's kingdom. And so uh, this morning I want to um, kind of think about what it means what the kingdom of God means. And I want to read some verses from Matthew's gospel in chapter 13. And reading from verse 24. And one of the things Jesus often said is, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And uh, as you listen to these words or read them off the screen or read them in your own Bibles, will you... um, Imagine that you are hearing them the very first time. And these are parables that Jesus told about the kingdom. So verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping... The enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may also root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burnt, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all your seeds. Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all those who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold everything he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. I'm not ever so convinced. I think they were just thinking he wanted to hear a yes. So, yeah. Have you ever done that? Did you understand? Oh, yeah. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. What's the kingdom of heaven like? It is one of Jesus' most common phrases. The kingdom of heaven is like this or like that. And of course, the people of Jesus' day were expecting, anticipating a kingdom. And in that environment, Jesus, I'm sure, knew the explosive power of the word kingdom, of the word Messiah, of the word king. And although Jesus didn't use the title king or Messiah much for himself, he accepted it from others. And as you read through the Gospels, it shows a gradual dawning on the disciples that their teacher, their rabbi, Jesus, was none other than the long-promised Messiah, Savior, Anointed One, King of the Kingdom, God Himself in the flesh, as John would later write as he begins his Gospel. But Jesus often spoke about the Kingdom. In His first public message, He declared that in himself the kingdom of God had drawn near, was at hand, was in reach of anybody. Believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near to anyone who will believe the good news. But all this talk of the kingdom to the wider crowds, inevitably stirred images of bright banners, glittering armies, Israel restored to the glory days of David and Solomon, the Roman occupators kicked out. The kingdom. There would have been zealots and revolutionaries on the edges of Jesus' audiences when he spoke who would have been armed and well-organized, ready, spoiling for a fight with the Roman occupiers. 
one of Jesus' disciples is described as Simon the Zealot. He was a revolutionary, just waiting for the word from Jesus to take up arms. Judas is also thought to have had revolutionary tendencies. But the signal for armed rebellion and revolution never came from Jesus. The more they heard about his kingdom, the more these revolutionaries seemed to be disappointed. They thought this coming king would be a a military hero. And Jesus even played down the splendor of the glory days of Solomon when he just compared the glory of a little common day lily. And he said, that lily has more splendor than Solomon in his heyday. At one time, if you read the Gospels, the crowds did rush to crown Jesus king. They wanted to force him to be their king. It was after the feeding of the 5,000. They'd seen the most amazing miracle. This man could provide food for them. This man had amazing powers. But as they rushed for Jesus, he mysteriously withdrew, disappeared from their sight. This was not his plan. And near the end, In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter finally wielded a sword in Jesus' defense and chopped off an ear of one of those who had come to arrest Jesus, Jesus says, put your sword away. And not only that, he walks up to the man who's lost his ear and heals him. Heals him. He lost his ear. He healed. I know you're amazed. Deep down, you're amazed. <laughs> to the crowds, it became clear that Jesus was talking about a very different kingdom than they were looking for. They wanted, as all people want, from their rulers, peace. And prosperity. I heard the new premier in China saying, this is what the people want. Peace and prosperity. A better standard of living. Strong at home. And strong abroad. Food for all. Full employment. I mean, who would you vote for at a general election if one person was saying, okay, there's going to be prosperity for all, security for all, strong at home, strong abroad, full employment. Sounds good, doesn't it? Or one who would say, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. I want you to renounce worldly treasure in favor of heavenly treasure. 
I want you to love your enemies. Ooh, who am I going to vote for? Jesus spoke of a very different kind of kingdom. He spoke of a Messiah that would suffer. That wasn't part of the expectation. That's why the Jews rejected Jesus. That's why they still reject him now. He's not the Messiah they're expecting. To restore Israel. Conquering. And by the time Jesus was nailed to the cross... The crowds, which had been such a feature of the early ministry of Jesus, had all but fallen away. See, when Jesus speaks of his kingdom, he means something else. Why did he persist in using the phrase the kingdom when he knew that people would misunderstand it? He noticed in one of those parables, with those with ears to hear, let them hear. In Matthew's gospel alone, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, appears 53 times. And Jesus never offered a succinct, clear definition of his kingdom. Instead, he imparted his vision of it indirectly through stories and parables. Ask, seek. Find the kingdom of God is near. Believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he took images from farming and fishing and bread making and shopping. Kingdom of heaven is like a farmer going out to sow his seed. And as every farmer knows, not every seed they plant bears a crop. In his story of the sower, some falls on hard ground and it's snatched away. Some falls on shallow soil. It has no roots. It grows quickly but soon disappears. Others fall on soil that is full of weeds and it's choked as it grows up. But others fall on good soil. Of course, the farmer would understand that. But the kingdom builder, that doesn't make sense. Earthly kings and rulers are judged on their power. Their ability to defend their borders, impose their will on their subjects, their strength. But Jesus seems to suggest in these parables that his kingdom comes with resistible power. That you can actually say no to his kingdom. It's not forced on anyone. It is humble, unobtrusive, and coexistent with evil. The parable of the weeds. There seems to be Jesus is happy in that sense. It grows amongst the evil that is going on in our world. The kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, is like a mustard seed. So tiny, if, if we had one here, you would never find it. I thought of doing something with the kids this morning, having a mustard seed, because I heard Edward talk about it the other day. I'm just hiding it somewhere, and I thought, we'd be here all morning. You'd never find it. It is so tiny, so small. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And you think, 
What's going on? But from that tiny seed, it will grow. And the mustard seed grows into a big bush and plant. So the kingdom of heaven grows. And small beginnings. And it will last every kingdom and every ruler and every earthly power. Because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all people, all people can find a home there. Just believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven is like a shopper, a merchant. And he's a dealer in rare gems. And one day he discovers a pearl so beautiful. It's so beautiful that he sells everything else just to get that one pearl. Imagine it. You're on eBay and you see this thing that is so beautiful that you just go and sell everything. You don't tell your wife or anything. You just sell everything. Got this beautiful pearl. Love. And some of you are like that. You found something so beautiful, yet your husband or wife doesn't understand it. Because they've not seen him. And I know the pain of that. But we carry on. But you have that treasure. Never let it go. You have that treasure. Like another man who found treasure in a field. and He went and sold all he had to buy the field. kingdom of heaven is open to everyone with ears to hear. It is not of this world. It's not based on our performance or our race or our class. It's not based on politics or prejudice. It's not based on earthly power or earthly governance. It is a very different kind of kingdom. In fact, history shows us that when the church uses the tools of the earth's kingdoms, it becomes ineffectual becomes as corrupt as any other power structure. Whether it's the Holy Roman Empire that needed reformation or Cromwell's England or Calvin's Geneva. The church is not to wield earthly power. It is to bring good news to the world and display Jesus for the world to see. Our impact on the world seems to decline in proportion to how vigorously we attempt to force others to adopt our own point of view. How many of you respect the Taliban? Because they want to force their kind of ultra, ultra fundamentalism on people. We do not respect anything like that. And we ask for God's forgiveness that in the past the church of Jesus Christ has done exactly the same to our shame. We easily forget our past. Jesus says the kingdom of God comes as sheep among wolves. As a tiny seed planted in soil. As yeast that works through a whole batch of dough. As salt rubbed into meat to stop it going bad.
And these images describe a kingdom that works from within to bring transformation. Jesus said nothing about power sharing with worldly authorities. The kingdom of God is at its best when the people of God are declaring the gospel of God. And the kingdom comes when individuals come to know Jesus as king. The kingdom comes. And whether it's one person on Alpha a week or so ago, or 25,000 people in the desert in Egypt at an amazing event. Incredible that 25,000 from a Muslim background would turn to Christ as Lord and Savior in the midst of persecution, or whether it comes. As it has come over the years in China. Where the authorities clamped down so much on the Christian church in the 60s and 70s that it had to go underground. All the missionaries were kicked out years before that. And now they estimate Estimate, because we don't know, that there may be over 50 million believers in China. 50 million. God is at work. And people say China is going to be the next superpower. I don't know what God's up to, but he must be up to something. If as China is becoming a superpower, the church of Jesus Christ is rising in that land in incredible numbers. I'm just excited about that. It's spawning the biggest missionary movement the world has ever seen. I reckon that amazing move of God, 50 million believers in China, must be the biggest revival this world has ever seen. Million, 50 million in a matter of 50 years. I'm not good at maths, but I reckon it's a million every, what, 10 years. Isn't God amazing? It is not based on earthly power. Passing laws to enforce morality in a nation may serve as a necessary function to stem the tide of evil, but... It never actually solves the human condition. How can a nation be changed? How can a nation be turned back to God? Not by legislation. That will never work. It comes with revival. It comes with a move of the Spirit of God. That's how a nation gets changed. You know, all the discussion. Who's God's man for the White House? Who's God's man for number 10? I don't know. I can't imagine Jesus for a moment... Sitting down with his disciples, who's God's man for? Rome, Tiberius, Octavius, who do you think? Yes, we need Christians in politics. Of course we do. We need Christians in every sphere of life. But let's not get this mistaken that we'll see God's kingdom come by legislation. It comes with a heart change. When someone comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and they say Jesus is king, that's a political statement. 
Jesus is Lord above all else. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom has no geographical borders, no capital city, no parliament building, no royal palace and trappings of earthly wealth. The kingdom comes where Jesus is king. And it lives and grows in the hearts of men and women and young people and children who acknowledge Jesus as Lord. But as Jesus said in this few parables that we read, there is a coming aspect to the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis, I can't remember which book it was, but he posed the question, why did God land on this enemy-occupied world in disguise? Why didn't he land in force and invade it and deal with it all in just one go? Is it that he wasn't strong enough? Why did he come in weakness? He came to save. He came to rescue. He came to offer salvation to all who would believe in him. And that's our mission as a church. To offer salvation to all who would believe. Because a day is coming when he is going to come back. And he will not come back in disguise. And he will not come back in weakness, supposed. He will come back with all the angels of heaven. And all those who have gone before in faith. And he will establish his kingdom on earth forever. And he will bring justice. And every wrong will be put right. And every person who has ever lived will face a judgment. But it will be a judgment based on who they trusted. Did they trust in Jesus as Savior? Or did they reject God and trust someone else? I do meet people who say, well, I... I don't believe in God, but I, I'm not against God. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Well, whose side are you on then? If you're not on God's side, whose side are you on? Well, I don't look at it that way. No, I know. I didn't. For years I didn't look at it that way. But Jesus is quite clear. When he comes again and he inaugurates his kingdom and all evil is dealt with and all sin is gone and all pain and all death and all suffering is gone, it will be those who acknowledged him as king who remain. And so we declare the good news of the kingdom of God. When Jesus walked on this earth, he made the blind see and the lame walk. When he returns to reign, disease and disability will be no more. 
On this earth, he died and rose again, and at his return, death will be no more. On this earth, he cast out demons. At his return, he will destroy the evil one forever. On earth, he came in obscurity, born as a baby in a manger. At his return, he will come as king of kings, lord of lords, as blazing fire with the triumphant church that bears his name. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's within reach for anyone who would believe. And so when we declare that our mission statement is to build God's kingdom, firstly, he has to reign here. That's where he has to reign. I don't know how you measure that. If you were to ask yourself, does he reign in my life? Is Jesus king? Is he Lord of it all? He wants to bless you and to make you the person that he has always intended you to be. The kingdom comes here, and the kingdom comes in lives of those who we share Jesus with and they accept him as Lord. And our disappointment is we see ones and twos, don't we? 25,000 would be good. 50 million. Oh, wow. God's kingdom is coming all over this planet. All over the planet. More and more is saying Jesus is king. To his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, earlier in our worship together we sang that we would enthrone you. And so as we sit here this morning, we give our lives to you afresh. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your life to forgive you and give you this new life, That is just dependent on his grace and nothing that you could do to earn it. I encourage you today. Maybe this is the day of salvation. Maybe this is the day that you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. Maybe for some of us we need just to lay a few things down. That they've come between us and Jesus. But we pray, as you taught us to pray, Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. And help us as a church to keep our eyes fixed on you and the purpose for which we are here. To glorify your name. To live for you until that day when you call us home or come again. 
Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Send us out in this, to this coming week empowered and equipped to live for you at home and at work and wherever you place us. We put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.